So you meet a woman online. I love her. I just love her. But it turns out thousands of other people are in love with her too. Janessa Brasil. Janessa Brazil. Janessa Brazil. One woman's image is being used by criminals to target innocent people looking for love online. You win their hearts, you win their wallets. Love, Janessa. My wild quest to find her. The unwitting human face of a digital con from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. This is a CBC podcast. Rob Marley and the Hartford Wellers are not around. Quebec's Nordiques and the Golden Sails have left town. The Rockies and the North Stars have both disappeared. So support your team while we just dream of our golden years. Support your team. That's the American band, the Zambonis, with their song, Bob Marley and the Hartford Whalers. They make a cameo appearance in Dave Hill's new book, The Awesome Game, One Man's Incredible Globe-Crushing Hockey Odyssey. Dave Hill is a comedian, an actor, and a musician. Hi, Dave. Hi, thanks for having me. A pleasure to have you here. You're from Cleveland, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, That song is, of course, all about cities that have lost their hockey teams, including Cleveland, although it doesn't get a mention in that song. I'm not sure why. You you actually went and saw the beloved Cleveland Barons. What happened to the Cleveland Barons? I did, yeah. That was my first NHL game ever. The, The Barons came to Cleveland in... The mid seventies, uh, on the heels of the Cleveland Crusaders from the WHA, and they they lasted two seasons. I think, owing to my mind, largely because the arena was way out in the middle of nowhere. They were called the Cleveland Barons, but they played in Richfield, Ohio, which was convenient to drifters only. <laughs> uh, I mean, like no one, no one is in Richfield, Ohio, so. Anyone who wanted to see the Barons play had to really, really want to see them play. So it just didn't. And, you know, that combine that with the fact that, you know, Cleveland wasn't a huge hockey town. The, the, the pursuit of your book really is to try to understand why Americans don't love hockey the way you do. And you, and you really show your, your, your passion and your pride for playing in the game. But, but you look at Cleveland alone. I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland, became a team after the California Golden Seals. And then, and then Cleveland ends up getting merged with the North Stars. And then the North, North Stars end up getting moved down to Dallas and almost goes bankrupt down there. I mean, that sort of speaks volumes about, about some of the problems with the game in the U.S., doesn't it? I, well, I don't, I don't know what, what happened in Minnesota, because you would think... Of all places. ...that it would be perfect for there. And now they have the Minnesota Wild, but... Hockey in America, unfortunately, despite its growing popularity, is still this, you know, I have very few friends who are, even to this day, and I live in New York, the Rangers are one subway stop away. I mean, Dave Dave Schneider from the Zambonis is the only friend that comes to mind that I could, could you know, text about anything hockey-related, really. And, and why do you think um, that is, Dave? I mean, you've, you've had some time, you, you, you wrote your book, you traveled a little for the book. I mean, what have you learned about why hockey struggles in, in the U.S.? 
you know, when you've got sports like NASCAR that are they're cramming fans in. Yeah, it's deeply disturbing. I mean, I think uh, I mean, the obvious things are that just the lack of naturally occurring ice here in America. You mm. know, well, we don't we don't with the exception of Minnesota, really. And, you know, some of the the states that border your fine country, uh, you know, we don't have like I remember being in Winnipeg a few years ago and just going for a run and, and just stumbling upon an outdoor rink. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine growing up with something like this where you could just walk down the block and put on your skates and be playing hockey in a matter of minutes. We don't really have that. And, you know, you can't just run out your door and play hockey in America like you can in Canada and, you know, some other countries, you know, and, I, you know, unfortunately, the equipment is cost prohibitive as well. But what I truly don't, I mean, those are just obvious nuts and bolts reasons. But the thing I don't understand is there's this argument in America like, oh, hockey is really hard to follow, especially on TV. And I have never understood that. It's always been really easy to follow for me. You know, I don't, people say they don't know where the puck is. And I say this all the time, like I wear glasses to watch movies and, you know, go to a go to an arena or whatever. But uh, on TV, I don't even have to wear glasses. You can just kind of see where the energy is going. It's, I mean, my dog understands hockey. I don't get it. <laughs> how, how much of, of your love of hockey do you think is genetic? Because you, you, you mentioned in your book that your grandfather's from Clinton, Ontario. Do you think that there's a little bit of that in your, in your DNA? I think there has to be, you know, we were, my siblings and I were raised, you know, in America, as, as, as I'm sure, you know, we're, we're taught that America is the greatest country that everything we have is the greatest. It's amazing. It's amazing. But, you know, having a grandfather from Clinton, Ontario, I was raised that Canada was this vastly superior nation to the North. So I, I had a weirdly Canadian upbringing, the most Canadian upbringing as you could have for a kid in Cleveland, Ohio, I would think, you know, my siblings and I were tossed onto the ice, you know, you know, shortly after the placenta was rinsed off us, we were <laughs> just, uh, we had to skate. In fact, like when my oldest sister, Miriam, when she was like, I don't know, maybe like 10 years old, I remember she, she was saying she didn't want to skate anymore, you know, or she didn't want to go to go down to the rink with the family. And my grandfather said, what good are you if, you if you can't skate? It was just this damning statement. I remember hearing it and being like, well, yeah, I guess he's right, you know? <laughs> no pressure, just, kids. Go, yeah, go out and was, have fun. <laughs> I mean, that's how serious it was. And I, I'm really the only... My mother skated, you know, in, uh, in her whole life, you know, up until the last year of her life. And... I I was really the only other one in my family who really, uh, out of you know just my natural the, the Canadianness in my blood, I've I've kept skating you know. Well, you 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 yeah. you were a bit of a hotshot player when you were playing with the Saint Ignatius Wildcats, the the legendary Wildcats. Uh, of course, yeah. You but you came to terms at some point that you were not going to make the NHL. Yeah, I think, I mean, thank you for calling me a hotshot. That's very <laughs> generous description of my abilities. Um, I think I did have, you know, I, I was not very good or interested at all in other sports, but hockey, I really 
I guess, applied myself, as my mom used to say. So I, I got about as good as I was going to get. And I, you know, I could do things really well. I could, I could skate around and look really good until other players were involved. Uh, and then that's when things got tough. But I think I knew when I was about 14. I mean, I'm sure I knew subconsciously before then, but I think I admitted to myself at 14 that maybe the NHL wasn't in my future. How, how, how good was how good were the Wildcats? I made the varsity team in my freshman year, and we were horrible. We were absolutely uh, bad news bears. I mean, and also we looked like just this motley crew. It looked like the bar scene from Star Wars. It just we didn't look <laughs> to be even of the same species. A lot of us, but you know, by the time I got to be a junior and senior, we started to get pretty good or you know i should say we were getting like uh really good younger players and I, I don't know if i really improved over the course of my high school career but uh but yeah we did pretty well and now the team the saint ignatius wildcats are state champions year after year uh they're amazing and it's it's really cool and and fascinating to see you know just even you know i went and I, you know, first chapter in the book, I talk about this going and skating with them. You know, they have these, to my mind, like NHL worthy locker rooms now. And, you know, they, they have all the, all the, all the tape they want, you know, just basics that we didn't have back in the Well, Dave, you, you laid the foundation. 40s. You can take credit for laying the foundation for the team's success. I, I, I would take that and run with it or skate with I, it. I mean, I think you're right. Now that I hear you say it, I think you're right. Now, as, we, as you mentioned, as your book is trying to understand why people in the U.S. are not as in love with hockey as, as you are. But it, it, there was one glorious moment when hockey was king down there. Do you remember this? Yes. Of now course. Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Billy Lechenov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Do you believe yeah. in miracles? Boy, that, that's one for the ages. you remember that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I genuinely got chills just listening to it right as you played it. It was amazing. It would have been uh, just a just a little thing, you know, about 10 years old. That's the miracle on ice game at the 1980 Winter Olympics when a group of young American players beat the mighty Soviet team four to three. And, and at that time, you had the United States was suddenly on the hockey map. Yeah, it was. I mean, this is after years of kids uh, being confused and irritated whenever I would bring up hockey on the playground or in in the classroom and then all of a sudden everyone was into hockey for at least a solid two weeks you know uh <laughs> i was going to ask you what what happened to that that miracle on ice it seems to it seemed to have evaporated at least in terms of, of of putting the game in the national consciousness i mean yeah it had a nice you know we were excited it, it lasted longer than when the u.s won the curling championship i think <laughs> With that, the, curling only got about four hours of attention in America, where all, all anyone could talk about was curling for four hours. But w in 1980, when the when the U.S. Olympic team won, it was I would say 
I might even go three weeks of just lots of hockey talk at, wow. in my little world in University Heights, Ohio. And it was it was just it was nice that finally my uh, classmates were interested in the same thing that I was, you know. You're also a, uh, a self-declared expert on hockey sweaters or as you call them, jerseys. Yeah, but I, I, I will say, you know, because people uh, under and with good reason get mildly enraged when they hear me call them a jersey, but I only do that to uh, to entice the layperson to get on board, because you know they get as we, as we've discussed, you know Americans get so easily confused when you say hockey sweater, they're imagining like a cardigan with a a patch of your favorite team on the chest. Or <laughs> so how how many sweaters do you own? Not enough by my estimation. I would say fifty, but that's way too many by my girlfriend's estimation. But you know, knowing like Dave Schneider from the Zambonis, who has, you know, I think maybe a couple thousand. Wow. And Brian Slagle, my friend, had a Metal Blade Records who discovered a little band called Metallica. He at one point had like, wait, no, I take it. So, gosh, no, no. I think Dave Schneider only has 250. So we're not even taking him seriously. But Brian Slagle had 2,500 at one point. Hmm. I think he had the world's largest personal collection, maybe. You were, you talk about what makes some um, sweaters cool. You actually singled out the Sudbury Wolves. Oh, yeah. What is it about the Su Sudbury Wolves sweater that makes you salivate? It's amazing. I mean, the, it's everything about it is, is great. I, I have one, and I'm tempted to just get another, just to have more of them. So if one's in the wash, I can wear the other. But... uh the logo is a wolf, which is, you know, that's half the battle. Uh, <laughs> they've already done that, you know, unlike the Kraken, Seattle Kraken, who don't even have the decency to depict a Kraken in their logo. But anyway, the wolves, they have a wolf, but it, was, it looks like it was drawn by like a a 15-year-old, like hopped up on Mountain Dew in the back of history class or something, you know, like in the last, you know, last class of the day. And, and and then it's got blood on the teeth. And then there's even, I don't have it right with me, but there, I think there's even like a drop of blood flying yeah, off. There is. And it's like, it's an additional patch. I can't overstate this. The fact that they, most, most hockey sweaters will have just one patch. There's your logo, done. But the Sudbury Wolves are like, no, we need another little patch that's just some blood flying across the jersey. That's like next level brilliance. And if everyone else would even try half as much, the world would be, a, at least the world of hockey sweaters would be a better place. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. You traveled uh, several countries, including Kenya, Yes. And you got to play with the Kenya Ice Lions uh, in Nairobi, although mm -hmm. sadly there was no ice for you to play on at the time, but you got to go and play roller hockey with the Kenya Ice Lions. Did, what was that like for you? Well, first of all, you know, I discovered them through my love of hockey sweaters. I was 
just Googling late at night, uh, and I was like, coolest non-NHL jerseys, and I stumbled upon their jersey, Kenya Ice Lions, and I think, Kenya, that's a, isn't that outside of Guelph? <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, oh, no, it's the arguably more popular Kenya. And so I wrote to these guys, and I asked you know, if I could come there and skate with them, and they said, sure. And But yeah, the rink hadn't reopened since COVID, so I had to play roller hockey with them, which I'd never done before. And I just assumed my skills would translate. Um, and they really slapped me around. I think the fact that they, a lot of them were like 20 to 30 years younger than I am probably factored in. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I think to it things, would. Uh, just the fact that I playing in the <laughs> in the hot Kenyan sun for five hours, uh, very hungover, I might add, really slowed me down a and, bit. And how good were they? They were surprisingly good. I mean, I still maintain, and I, you know, I hope they're listening. I'm going to come back and play them on the ice and really school them very hard. But they were really good. I mean, it was really inspiring how good they were. And it was so exciting to... You know, I'd never been to Africa before. To So that alone was so exciting. And then to, you know, be on the other side of the world and be bonding with these guys, uh, you know, having the same excitement that I had when I was their age and that I still have today uh, was, was just really cool. Um, well, in, in, and, twi- in and, 2018, Tim Hortons brought the Kenyan Ice Lions to Canada to play against a local team of firefighters. But before the game yeah. started, NHL stars Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon were brought in as ringers. And here's what Crosby and McKinnon said after the game. That's the best part about the game is just how it reaches so many people and a place like Kenya where you wouldn't think that there's even ice. I didn't really know what to expect, but I thought those guys looked great. It's cool to see the genuine excitement that they had, and it got us really fired up. To meet people from different places and to share the game that we love to play, I think I had just as much fun as any of those guys did. Great skater. You're a great skater. Keep it up. Speaking with Dave Hill, who was the author of The Awesome Game. And Dave, in your book, you, you, you went to hockey games in Canada, Poland, Finland, the U.S., and of course, Kenya. So what is it that unites hockey fans from all over the earth? What did you learn? I think it's just that excitement. And also, you know, with it, with specifically with uh, in Kenya, it was a bit of maybe a similar feeling that I had growing up in Cleveland. Uh, you know, they were, the, they were the weirdos in Kenya who were into this weird sport. I'll never forget, like, uh, the night after we we played all day and then we went with uh, Ali Kalanga, sort of the elder statesman of the team, and, and Benja, uh, another guy hung out, a great player on the team. Uh, we went to this reggae club way out in the middle of nowhere, and we're sitting there and, like, reggae is just blaring and, and, uh, and you know, this familiar smells of what you would expect to... Mm-hmm. smell on a reggae night somewhere uh we're all over the place and not at our table of course but of course not uh and, and but we're sitting there passing around instagram because music was so loud we couldn't talk and we're just passing around instagram videos of amazing hockey plays you know it's just like just that gen- just that genuine excitement that the game really just like puts in your heart. It, it was really great. And I also just love, you know, w- with writing the book, being able to connect with people all over the world and have these b- adventures that come from this just sort of simple 
love of this amazing or the awesome game, I should say. And, and, you know, that because of loving this one thing it led to so many, you know, I'm still, I'm still friends with the guys in Kenya. You know, we message all the time and hopefully I'll get back over to school them soon enough. And, uh, but yeah, it was just exciting. And to see, you know, to go to Poland and see just how insane, like, I'm afraid of Polish hockey fans. They're completely unhinged in a way that's really inspiring, but also alarming. Yeah, it was just, it was just amazing. Uh, just, just before we let you go, what, what's next to promote hockey in the U.S.? Have, have you have you learned uh, something that you think would help? Just give it that shot in the arm that you think the sport deserves. Well, my current, um, and this is maybe a selfish mission, but my current mission to get more eyeballs, uh, just to uh, to draw attention, is I'm. I thought, like, what can I? You know, I've written this book, and it's been released into the wild. Hopefully everyone, you know, all over the world, and especially in America and Canada, will read it. But I, what my, I was like, what more can I, Dave Hill, do? And my mission is to play the national anthem at as many pro or semi-pro hockey games as I can. And then, you know, then draw, by drawing attention to myself, draw further attention to the game. That's sort of, <laughs> that's really, I mean, it's a selfish mission. I'm the first to admit it really I mean, I sit here in a Toronto Marley's tracksuit that I was given after <laughs> performing at a Cleveland Monsters Toronto Marley's game. So I, this is a very selfish mission. Well, listen, uh, we, I, I want to be here to, to, to help to, to enable your selfish mission. So, and there are probably a few hockey club owners that are listening to this show. So we're going to give you, Dave Hill the opportunity to audition right now. And of course, because you are on the CBC, we do, if you're going to play a national anthem, we want it to be the Canadian national anthem. So, yes, which I will, I'm not pandering, but I, I believe it to be a superior anthem. It sounds, it does sound a little like pandering, but I'm going to take you at your word, Dave. There, well, I I believe it. I believe it. And you've got, you've got, you got a guitar in your hand. I just happened to, yes. Uh, by by just happenstance, the floor or the ice is yours. Okay, is it now okay, I'm gonna lay it on you. Here we go. Canadian national anthem. And you just have to imagine the French lyrics, which I that's my preferred uh slip-ups only only to appear human 
I, I'm, I'm on my feet with my Bic lighter lit and f- just, just waving in the air, Dave. Thank you oh, so much. I've never amazing. felt so proud to be a Canadian. I mean, you can smell, I, you can smell the poutine when I play it, I think. <laughs> Dave, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Dave Hill was in New York City. His new book is The Awesome Game, One Man's Incredible Globe-Crushing Hockey Odyssey. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.